That's Manhattan Island down there. There's the East River. There's the Hudson River. That's Staten Island. Got all the topographical clues we need. Problem seems to be the real estate's there. It's just the city and eight million people are missing. Short. There's no New York. It's disappeared. Come on, we're gonna go for a joyride. just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope that you guys uh, survived your repeating dreams with male figures that were creeping on you and then an exploding airplane. Because that's I was really worried that you guys would get on that plane and not on this plane that we're about to get on. Yeah, as I say, from uh, one flight catastrophe to the next. Yeah. Uh, it, it, <laughs> here we it, are at the Odyssey of Flight 33. Yeah. Like, the was it, was it Flight 22 the last episode? Like... I, I just yeah. something Serling is obsessed with 11s. So there we go. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I guess we're going to talk some more airplane stuff. So here we go. Odyssey of Flight 33, Season 2, Episode 18, uh, air date February 24th, 1961. A new number one song. Um, it is the song Calcutta, which is uh, just instrumental uh, from Lawrence Welk and his, his shiny bubbles. And the number one okay. film is still 101 Dalmatians. All right. And I um, could not find anything for the 24th. Uh, I did find for the 25th. This seems very appropriate. Um, Paul Bilkey set a record for altitude for a sailplane, which is a glider, reaching 46,266 feet after catching a Sierra wave in the skies near California's Mount Whitney, the record would remain unbroken for more than 50 years. So, wow. Yeah. He just hit a nice jet stream and we did not know where he ended up at. So, um, yeah, sounds familiar. Right. And then um, I'm sorry, just one more thing from the day and you'll, you'll appreciate this. The syndicated claymation television show, Davy and Goliath, uh, was first broadcast in the United States. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Didn't we bring that show up already? On, Maybe. On here? I don't know. Um, I, I just, don't know why we would have. Yeah. Hello, Davey. You know, it was like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I couldn't find anything for this date, but it seems like every other episode we do, there's some news story of a plane crashing. So uh, people seem to be obsessed with aviation and space exploration and all that stuff. So we've had so many episodes about planes. So it, it, I, I guess there wasn't anything too topical as far as this date, but it just... It seems like people were kind of this was on everyone's mind at this time. So it makes sense that he would do so many episodes surrounding aviation. Well, that and his brother helped out, too. So we'll, we'll talk about. We'll yeah, we'll, later, we'll yeah. definitely talk yeah. about that. Yeah, I, I think we've discussed uh, Robert Serling in previous episodes um, why, as far as him. Why would parents name siblings like similar names? That feels weird. Like if, 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 yeah, if, and if Rod gets in trouble, they start yelling at Rob. <laughs> they're like, no, who? Yeah. <laughs> You know, you like, say Rob or Rod. Yeah. It's like, you're both in trouble. Like, stop smoking. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> Mrs. Serling. Yeah. I, I just imagine Serling at like 12 years old, still wearing the same suit, smoking a cigarette, <laughs> like popping out from behind doors around the house. Just like, <laughs> but his ears are the same size as his adult self. Like they're just like big to his small head. I like that a lot. He comes out for dinner and starts like narrating what she's putting down on the table, like walking out from behind the door smoking. <laughs> Little do they know that this meatloaf was not regular meat. You know, I don't know. I, I'm not Rod Serling. I can't write episodes, so I can yeah. only talk about them. And and this one, 
I, I don't know. I feel like just from talking to you before we got into this proper, we're going to have some differing opinions about this episode, which will make for a fun talk. So I'm looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, we'll see if I can justify my opinion. I honestly <laughs> don't know if I can. I, I have a very gut reaction to this episode for some reason, uh, but we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I don't want, I don't want to jump the gun yeah. here. Um, so this episode was directed by uh, Justice Addis. Um, or as we like to call him, Hustisa Dis. Uh, <laughs> had to do it. Um, but I found out, I guess this episode was originally supposed to be directed by Douglas Hayes, mm-hmm. which I was uh, really disappointed when I found that out because uh, the idea of... Because this episode is pretty much, except for a few shots of like uh, the ground below the plane and some exterior shots of the plane, is almost all done within the cockpit and the, uh, I, I guess, the cabin of the plane. Yeah. So I, I feel like with Douglas Hayes' inventive way of shooting these challenging episodes, I think we could have gotten something really special uh, as far as the imagery in it. Uh, but it, what we got is fine. Um, this director, uh, Justice Addis, I almost said the wrong name again, <laughs> um, he directed two other Twilight Zone episodes, which we will get to in the future. A um, lot of TV work. I there wasn't too much that I was too familiar with, um, but I did find some interesting stuff. Um, I fell down a few rabbit holes researching this. Um, I guess he was. I, I couldn't find any any interviews with him or anything, but I guess it was pretty well documented that he was openly gay, and he lived with his partner Hayden Rourke for like twenty two years. Which, if you'll remember on uh, Penny for Your Thoughts, Hayden Rourke played Sykes. Oh, on that episode. Okay. Yeah, so they uh, lived together for a long period of time before uh, Justice ended up dying, I believe. He died first. Huh. Um, but yeah, a bunch of actors just would talk about it like they would have parties all the time and invite like a bunch of Hollywood elite people over. And uh, I guess they were very flamboyant about it, very open about it at these parties. Um, so I thought that was interesting. That you don't is interesting. Hear, you don't hear a lot about uh, openly gay uh, directors or actors like during this time period coming out um, though I don't know if he officially did <laughs> but it seems like they weren't doing much to hide it from <laughs> their friends and other celebrities no that sounds but, like it you're right yeah it's interesting you don't hear about a lot from this period of time mm-hmm. as far as Hollywood stuff um, yeah and then this episode was written by Rod Serling with help from his brother, Rob Serling. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into more of the Genesis episode later when we get to after everything we talk about. Because it's, it's an interesting Genesis just because it's more speaking to like just how a random thing can spark an idea. So I like that. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to more on that later. Yep. So we'll jump into cast here. We have John Anderson, who plays Captain uh, Farver, a.k.a. the Skipper. Um, he was also he played Gabriel in the passage for trumpet. So I, th- I believe we discussed him on there. We did. At least we should have. Was, yeah. He was Abraham Lincoln. Let's get it straight. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Paul Comey, who plays First Officer John Craig, um, which I didn't catch any of these people's names except for the next guy uh, during it. But he was also in People Are Alike all over. So I believe we talked about him on there. Yeah, he was Markison. Or yep. Moccasin, how they kept yeah, saying over and over again. Uh, next up, we have Sandy Kenyon, who plays Navigator Hatch, a.k.a. Magellan. Um, he was in two other Twilight Zone episodes, and here's another rabbit hole I fell down. He was also in an episode of Playhouse 90. Mm-hmm. Uh, a town uh, a town has uh, turned to dust, yes. which is the genesis for the episode Dust that we've covered this season. Um he didn't have a big role in it, but I thought it was interesting that he was in that. But what I did not know about that episode of Playhouse 90, because I think we mentioned that on the Dust episode, um, it was di- that episode was directed by John Frankenheimer, the director. Oh. Who, right. like, Ronin and uh, Island of Dr. Moreau, huh. Manchurian Candidate, wow. like, Reindeer Games, like, so many uh, amazing crime films and stuff. Uh I never yeah, thought he, we were going to Reindeer's Game 20... con- uh, connection to this episode. That's our Twilight Zone. Never thought we would talk about Reindeer Games. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, but he directed 27 episodes of uh, Playhouse 90. Mm. I had no idea. Um, yeah, he also did a Tales from the Crypt episode. Like, it, big director. 
So I just thought that was an interesting uh, connection on there. So um, interesting thing I found about uh, Sandy Kenyon is that he played a pre-presidential Lincoln and and some other TV series, and then John Anderson. At, we talk about him being Abraham Lincoln, and we probably mentioned this on a passage trumpet. He played Lincoln three separate times, so we have two Lincolns in this episode. Um, so dueling I, I Lincolns I like yeah, it, dueling Lincolns, <laughs> and neither one of them showed up in back there. You think that would be the time to have a Lincoln was in that episode, but no. But we have two Lincolns here. Yeah. Um, so next up, we have Wayne Hefley, who plays second officer Wyatt. Um, he was in one other Twilight Zone episode. He was in an episode of Hawaiian Eye. Um, nice. And then uh, he was in a movie, Orca, which I need to discuss with <laughs> you uh, for your other show. Yes. Uh, because uh, Paul's discussing doing Year of the Ripoffs uh, on his other show. And Orca is an amazing Jaws ripoff um, that has its own merits. I, I don't want to write it off as being strictly. I uh, thought it was the origin story of Shamu. I didn't know that that's what that movie was. <laughs> um, no, it, there's it's an interesting film. Um, it wouldn't exist without Jaws. Let's put it that way, though. Um, and then he was also in the 1976 King Kong. I thought that was uh, noteworthy. So I found for him he was both an Airwolf and Blue Thunder, the TV series, not the film, like the film of Blue Thunder. So he was loved on a lot helicopters. of helicopters. He was, yeah, he loved helicopters, and he was actually in uh, the film version of Johnny Guy's Gun, the the Dalton Trombo uh, like book that became a movie. Um, which if you, I've read the novel Johnny Guy's Gun. I have not seen the movie, but if you guys like your your uh, your hard rock and your metal go back and watch the Metallica video for one because it references uh, Johnny Guy's gun. And it's a very um, interesting, interesting uh, film and book. Yeah. I just want to say, I love the eighties obsession with helicopters. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Like <laughs> they're cool, right? Like airwolf was they cool. Are, they are cool. Like, and I love airwolf and nothing... I, I've never watched the blue thunder TV show, but I like the uh, Roy Scheider film. Um, no, no helicopters are, are awesome, but it's just it's so funny that they made like multiple TV shows based around helicopters. <laughs> you should read the history of the Airwolf TV show, how badly it got mangled, like as it went from like broadcast <laughs> to like the USA network. And also like it has it has the coolest intro like music ever for a TV show and Urs Borgnine. So you can't go wrong with Airwolf, you know, yeah, like. Yeah. By the way, Airwolf's a dumb name for a helicopter. It's an Airwolf. Like, what does that even what's that even mean? Like, I, but I love it. I love Airwolf, and I, I don't remember Blue Thunder the film, but I remember. I remember. Like, you're right. The '80s was all about like helicopters, and you had competing films and TV series. Yeah, um, I would have called it uh, Spinny Blade Wolf, but that would. <laughs> I don't know if that would have <laughs> worked as well. Um, I'd watch it right. in a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. All right, we got we still got some people yeah, to get through here. Like as much as cast. I want to talk about Spinny Blade Wolf. Um, <laughs> so next up, we have Hart McGuire, who plays Flight Engineer Purcell, who this is his only Twilight Zone episode. And not much about him, but I guess he was pretty famous in Australia. He was on a uh, he was on the Australian like thriller radio show. Um, was I it forget called, what the title was. It called it. Spinny Blade Wolf. Was that the name of the thriller? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But yeah, he's born in Tennessee. His uh, biggest claim to fame is being on an Australian radio show. That and he died so. young. He only died like like a couple years after this episode too. It was weird. Yeah, there's not much written about him. Yeah. But um, yeah, he doesn't do much in this either. So, no. um, then uh, just a few quick to ramble off here. We have Betty Gard who plays the uh, uh, passenger. I believe it's the rambling, annoying passenger. Yeah. Who is in one other Twilight Zone episode. We got Beverly Brown as Janie, which is one of the flight attendants, I would assume, who is only Twilight Zone episode, but she's also in Cool Runnings. You, you stole my so, thunder. She only yeah, has that's 10, a, that's 10. That's a strange Twilight Zone connection that right. I never thought we'd get. <laughs> right. You got to have the John Candy connection, right? Uh, but she only has 10 total acting credits, 10 total credits, and, and it's Twilight Zone, and her last credit is Lady Number One in Cool Runnings. Like, <laughs> like I don't know, like, is that something her agent set up, or just the fact that they're like, we know what, we need a Lady Number One. What about her? Like, what about Bev Brown? Call Bev Brown. Yeah. <laughs> That's who we need. <laughs> uh, Weird. So next up, we have Nancy Rennick, who plays Paula, the other flight attendant, and she was actually in After Hours. Yes, uh, and Johnny Midnight, which I'm sure I mentioned then, too. So I yeah, just want to mention yeah. that. So, and then uh, we have, uh, I'm, I know Paul's brought him up. We have Robert McCord, 
somewhere on that plane as well. <laughs> yeah, it's one of his 32 appearances. Collect all 32. Um, I also just want to mention here real quickly, Jay Overholtz was a passenger. It's his fifth of eight Twilight Zone appearances. I didn't even notice he was a guy that was in all the other ones we watched so far. So I want to say he's almost this episode's Robert McCord until Robert McCord shows up. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. And then the only other person I feel like we've mentioned everyone else, including Jay Overholt. So uh, Lester Fletcher plays the uh, RAF man, yeah. the uh, British uh, officer that's on the plane being talked at by the uh, older lady. A very thankless <laughs> role. So yeah, there Talk you go. That- at, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's your cast, uh, that's your crew. Um, yeah, let's just get the Sterling. You're riding on a jet airliner en route from London to New York. You're at 35,000 feet atop an overcast and roughly 55 minutes from Idlewild Airport. But what you've seen occur inside the cockpit of this plane is no reflection on the aircraft or the crew. It's a safe, well-engineered, perfectly designed machine. And the men you've just met are a trained, cool, highly efficient team. Problem is simply that the plane is going too fast, and there is nothing within the realm of knowledge, or at least logic, to explain it. Unbeknownst to passenger and crew, this aeroplane is heading into an uncharted region, well off the beaten track of commercial travelers. It's moving into the twilight zone. What you're about to see we call the Odyssey of Flight 33. That is almost a minute's worth of explanation of what's going on. And I feel yeah. like that is the biggest issue with this episode is that there's a lot of, I don't know. It's just, it takes for like that. That was right before the commercial break of the first, the first part of the episode. Right. So you had seven, eight minutes going into that bit. And I just feel like this episode was a lot of hurry up and wait. And that was my frustration with this. We'll go into it more as we go along. Yeah, I was gonna, I'm, I'm going to bite my tongue until we can talk about it a little bit more openly. Um, yeah, I, and he doesn't always say the name of the episode, which mm-hmm. I thought was weird. It was an uh, interesting uh, narration at the beginning there from him. I like that the flight crew kept him in the cabin. They're like, Rod, we don't need you in the cockpit. Please. We have enough yeah, problems please, as Please is. remove yourself from the cockpit. <laughs> if you're going to smoke. We, the we only can't that, see out of the windshield with all the smoke in here. <laughs> if we, yeah, the only person that can smoke is the skipper. He's allowed to smoke. No one else is allowed to smoke. Uh, yeah, well, it was sweaty enough in there that they're probably fogging up the. <laughs> yeah, I like the, the idea that someone someone had like a tossed off like just undershirt that they're just wiping down the glass because of all the humidity and smoke in there. That 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 makes sense to me. I like that. Yeah, yeah. So this episode is very simple. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't even know how far we need to go into some of the. Uh, smaller plot points in this, but so we open up on a uh, commercial. Uh, plane um carrying passengers flight 33 um and we see the uh crew and they're just they're talking about the flight and everything and after a while the captain turns and he's like do you guys feel anything he's like i feel like uh i feel the sensation of speed come like going on right now and uh so at that point everything starts going haywire as far as the technical uh yeah uh stuff on the plane but I, I like how they did this. Like, there's really no effects other than one big notable effect later on <laughs> the episode. Um, to signify that something's going wrong, there's nothing real too flashy going on. Yeah, I appreciate that. Like, I, like so the skipper, while smoking a cigarette and having the coolest voice ever. Oh, uh, yeah. He just, I, like, I understand that smoking causes that, so we shouldn't smoke, but goddamn, his voice was cool. Um, I know. I, I smoked two packs just to see if I could do it. I, for wish, I, I wish I could vape a really cool voice like that. I, that would be great. Um, <laughs> but like the whole, like, so they're basically, they're all like, there's what, five of them in the cockpit. And yeah. they have the understanding that like, they're trying to fly to New York from, from England. They're going to land at Idlewild. Uh, and then things aren't going the way they expect. And the, and the skipper's like, do you guys feel that speed? And then all of a sudden, all their readouts are showing that like things aren't adding up. But the fact that even though they're freaked out, they're all professionals, which no matter what I'm going to say about this episode, and this is probably more Rob Serling than Rod Serling, like they all stay at their post. They all do their jobs and you kind of got to respect that. And they all handle their individual tasks, trying to understand the greater whole. So I appreciate yeah. that a great deal. Well, two things about that. I think that 
grounds this episode in reality because mm-hmm. this is a very fantastical idea. Um, but it also adds this like calm eeriness to the episode. Yeah. Where they are very calm, but you can see the tension. Like I said, the fact that they're all just profusely sweaty in this. I, <laughs> I wrote in my notes multiple times, just like so sweaty. Um, was really carrying some of the tension in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so it, as calm as they were, you could see the fear and the um, the confusion amongst them. And you could just sense the tension within the uh, cockpit. And I was really impressed with that. Because at, at first glance, I was like, oh, this is going to be an obnoxious episode. Because everyone, especially the captain, is very stiff with his delivery. But as it went on, it, that like I said, it was just this calm eeriness that emanated from his performance. And, uh, I ended up absolutely loving him in this. Yeah. Well, because honestly, like what choice do they have, right? They're in a, they're in a sealed metal tube in the sky and they're not getting information that makes sense. And all they know, all they know is that they can do their jobs and they know how air works. Right. So yeah. And they make reasonable decisions. They do this for an unreasonable situation, which always helps. Um, because, like you said, what what else can he do? So, um, the flight attendant it comes in and <laughs> sees all this happening, and she goes out and basically tells the other flight attendant, "We're in trouble. Act like nothing's happening. Well, Just pass out food." Two things I want to mention about that real quick. One, she shows up and was like, "Hey guys." Like, I just want to let you know that if we get to New York on time, a couple of us have some heavy dates, whatever that means, and yeah. um, and some other things that she mentioned, and one of them is available for any crew member. That is like basically saying there's one girl that has nothing to do. If you guys want to go talk to her, she'll probably put out. That's kind of the vibe I, I got from that. I thought she was talking about the uh, the passengers on the plane <laughs> no. and the the people like the guys asking the flight attendants out oh. back there. No, I, I thought that's what she was talking about. Just having like annoying uh, patrons on the plane. No, she was saying a couple of them had dates. And then a couple of them have things going on, but like one of them is available okay. for any crew member, right. which yeah. no matter how you cut it, what you're saying is bad. And what I'm saying is bad too. Right. So yeah, I guess either way, <laughs> but then, but then whenever the head stewardess, she goes out to talk to the other one, she was just like the, the, the girl was like, Oh, I hope we get to see like whatever show it was on Broadway about Valhalla. And she's like, well, let's hope that that's the only Valhalla you see, as opposed to the real one. And, then, and she's like, what are you talking about? She's like, things aren't good. It's like, Jesus Christ. Christ, like that is the worst way to segue into that there's possible problems with the plane. Also, why would you tell the rest of your stewardesses that this is what's going to happen? Because if they don't know that there's a problem, they're going to act normal and keep the rest of the people calm. That's my, not that I'm saying that it's good to withhold information, but the way you dump that on the other, uh, other stewardess is terrible. That's not necessarily withholding information at this point because nobody knows what's going on. That's fair. So they nobody knows. So like, what what do you tell people? Like, yeah. we don't know where we are. <laughs> like, yeah. that's a, nobody wants to say that. Like, wait until you get an answer and then maybe tell people. You know. So I I didn't have a problem with that. But yeah, you're right. A bad idea for that head flight attendant. <laughs> yeah. So then it's so then it kind of cuts to the slice of life moment where you have the most annoying passenger ever like babbling on to the RF man about her life and her family. And you get it. Like she is just, she's sitting beside this guy and he's trying to be polite. And, and he also knows there's a weird sensation with the plane because he's in, you know, the Royal air force. Right. And it's like, I really, really thought he would play further into the story. And that's the only time you see him. And that yeah, was they, frustrating. They don't really do much. No, the passengers are just there to add like heightened, uh, the stakes are raised because now you have however many people are on the plane that could die, not only just the crew. Because if you would have made it just a military plane, you would just have the yeah. the couple people in the cockpit and that's it. But adding a whole group of innocent people and in their stakes are infinitely raised. Um, so I understand. But yeah, I, I think... They barely, they didn't even need to show anything no. with the people back there, to be honest. I wish you'd have been like, did they fly through a white cloud? Because I heard of one guy one time flying through a white cloud. Yeah. That w- that I wrote my notes. Time. Maybe they'll run past the last flight pilot in, <laughs> in some strange cloud up there. That was my notes, too. I was but, like, do you think they'll hit the same cloud that was flown into <laughs> during the last flight? Because it kind of feels like that, you know? But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they are in the Twilight Zone. Connected a- <laughs> universe. We didn't even yeah. know. 
Yeah, so um, then we get the flight attendant drops. Yeah, drops the plate on the guy, and we're back in the uh, back in the cockpit, and they're double checking everything. And at that point, the plane shakes, and there's a big flash of light. Um, they're checking for damage and everything, and the uh, the captain says it felt more like a sound shockwave, like we crossed the sound barrier. Yeah. And the one guy was like, we didn't even get the warning for that. And it's just, it's implied that like they definitely traveled through something that they shouldn't have. And then they, they visually check to see if all, if the wings and the engines are intact and and they are. And the whole thing is like, they've lost radio contact. They don't know where they are, but then they, but then the captain is like, we should drop down to get a visual. And that's a smart move. He's like, where are we? We need to figure out where we are. And then when they drop down all the landmarks in terms of like the, the rivers, and the space makes sense, but there's no there's no New York. Yeah, so they realize they're above Manhattan Island. There's no city, no skyline, no people, nothing. Um, so they're not quite sure. And then we get a great little uh, stop motion <laughs> animation of a uh, dinosaur down there. Who looks at um, them with the like what the f look on his face? Like <laughs> I, I don't know if you've watched yeah. that multiple times. I watched it a couple times. He's just like he's just eating like plant material, and he's like, "What is that?" Like it's a great yeah. reaction from a stop motion dinosaur. Yeah. So we should probably. Uh, there's not much left to this episode. No. Um, I, I kind of want to talk about the dinosaur because it's a very <laughs> memorable moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of history with this dinosaur in this. Um, yes. So I, I guess they called up this uh, producer, Jack Harris, who produced a movie called Dinosaurus, and he was also the producer of The Blob. Um, and they had uh, Dinosaurus had a bunch of dinosaurs in it. And so I guess they used the same model from that and did new scenes for this episode using that. Well, OK, um, so you're half right. So, um, OK. All so, right. Well, no, Dinosaurus was directed by Irvin uh, E. Atworth. No, you're right about all about that. directed the blob. So I just want to put that. So out the there, production team the making awesome. making that film, that that's absolutely correct. So okay. um, they they while they're making that film, they asked them to make six seconds of footage of a dinosaur, which they did. That was then used in the film. So it wasn't it wasn't footage from the film. They just happened. The twilight zone commissioned it and they used that dinosaur in a different capacity in that film. So I think there's a difference there, okay. right? So yeah, they, uh, so it wasn't the twilight zone using an asset. It was the twilight zone creating an asset and they're like, well shit, we have a dinosaur. Let's just use it in this movie. So well, I thought cause dinosaurs came out in 1960. Well, I mean, I don't know how long the production time was on this, but that, like, so there's. Yeah, I guess this could have been shot in 1960 because, yeah, it, it definitely would have because this is uh, this is only February. This yeah. episode came out. So, OK, yeah. So they're being shot at about the same time. Yeah. So yeah. here uh, to kind of give away a little bit of this. So the six seconds of footage cost three thousand nine hundred and forty dollars to make. Right. Wow. So that's what the Twilight Zone paid for. And then this film used it later. Um the highest paid actor in this was John Anderson at eight hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> like, I, like I, I just figured you oh. would enjoy that oh, information yeah. that that Nome was paid much. I mean, it was 1961, so that, that's that's a no, that, like, that's a good chunk of money. It is and for, it, yeah, it, honestly, how much did he have to do in this episode? Right. As much as I liked his performance, but like, the fact that like the dinosaurs paid like five times as much to exist. <laughs> I mean, I agree with paying dinosaurs more than people because <laughs> I love dinosaurs. Hey, but I learned um, we, we spare no expense when it comes to yeah. dinosaurs, right? So, <laughs> oh my god. That's uh, that's incredible. So I should also mention here, like you know what? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> I will get into the the reactions of the cast right now before we get to the, the episode. I figured I, I sometimes say this for the end, but this is appropriate right now. So okay. John Anderson said. We looked damn serious doing that show, but we had a blast filming it. Uh, the guys playing my co-pilots were great. The director had trouble getting us settled because we were having so much fun. When you see me looking out at the dinosaur, I'm really looking at the poor director. As soon as he'd yell cut, we were cracking jokes again. We were confined to this little cockpit. Whenever the director said, there's the dinosaur, we had to pretend that it was out there. He's like, I saw the episode recently. I was amazed. I was able to spew out all that technical gobbledygook. So then additional quote is from Paul Comey, who is his uh, co-pilot, I think. We talked about him for a second. What is he? He's a uh, first officer, uh, John Crane. 
So Paul Comey said, I remember watching it on television and remarking how cheap that effect was and impractical, but I guess it worked and I probably get more letters from phone calls from fans because of the Twilight Zone than any other show I've ever been on. So that dinosaur stuck with people and the fact that they had to react to a director hanging like basically outside the window <laughs> of a cockpit. I just, I want to see the film that didn't make it into this episode. I want to see the outtakes of them all just <laughs> dicking around, having a good time, pretending to look at a dinosaur. At the, I yeah. Based on John Anderson's two roles in the Twilight Zone that we've seen him in, uh, I can't imagine that man laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I can't even imagine him smiling. But if he laughed, um, it would be the most soulful laugh. And just oh, I'm sure. I, <laughs> man, he's somebody I'd sit down and have a glass of scotch uh, with it'd be for so sure. Good, so good. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, yeah, that's what it seems like uh, every time I've ever heard or seen anything about this episode, um, people talk about the dinosaur in it. So that's why I wanted to give it its due time and talk about where it came from and everything. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the stop motion, <laughs> it was done by this pro- this company called Project Unlimited. Yeah, they worked on Star Trek planet of the apes you didn't just mention this did you no 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 you're right okay yeah uh the time machine land of the lost um and william tuttle who worked on the twilight zone also worked with that company quite a bit so um that's probably how they got in touch with them but yeah i mean for the time um i'm trying to think of the 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 movie i'm trying to think of lost world i don't think it's as good as something like that but it's still pretty impressive what they accomplished and uh I will recommend Dinosaurus is on YouTube in full. <laughs> it's a really good copy. The movie's about an hour and five minutes. Um, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I flipped through quite a bit of it, and it looks like a lot of fun. Is there the flight of Fight 33 that goes through briefly? Do you see the Brontosaurus looking at it? Like, what has happened? That would be incredible. That would be, be such a good tie-in. <laughs> And when you mention the Lost World, you're talking about the film The Lost World, not yes, yes, not yeah. um, the Jurassic Park sequel, right? So, um, yeah, no, the uh, the I forget what year that's from, yeah. 1925 or whatever. Okay, that's right. But I mean that that stuff and like King Kong and everything. That stop motion is just world class. Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing that really tops that as far as I'm concerned. Like I enjoyed the dinosaur in this. Don't get me wrong, but it's so it's so obvious you know like and i, I oh yeah I, I but mean, that, that's yeah. where the charm lies i mean you don't go back and watch stuff like lost world net and or valley of the guanji or something um which i should have given you that for the western because cowboys versus, <laughs> versus dinosaurs. dinosaurs yeah um <laughs> but you, you don't go back and watch that stuff and I, you got to take the effects for what they are yeah but i mean for 1961 i mean Lost World was made in 1925, so it's like the fact that I think theirs looked a little bit better <laughs> may be an insult to people working on effects in 1961, you know? Yeah, that's fair. But I love stop-motion animation. It's one of those things I just think it's so charming that when it popped up in this episode, I was just like... I. I just applauded to myself on the couch. I was like, yes, <laughs> it, just, it just felt like Pee Wee's Playhouse for a second where it's like, look at the dinosaur. It just looks at the screen. Well, and, it's yeah. so telegraphed too. how yeah. they all like, what is that? Captain, yeah. look out the window. What? What is that? You know, and they all like turn and stand and look towards the window. And then you get that six second shot. It's just yeah. so telegraphed and so staged that it feels like here it comes. Here's the big effect shot of the episode, you know? Um, so, it, but I mean, if you're going to pay that much money at that time to do it, yeah. you better take time to set it up. And <laughs> here it right. comes. Here's four thousand dollars in uh, 1961. They should be like, second shot. Get like, ready for it. Here it comes. <laughs> like, look out the window. Whatever you're seeing is like worth five times more than you. Like that. Would yeah. Have- <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh. But go figure. How many people worked on the, that uh, effects team? There are probably like six to eight people on that effects team. Uh, they probably split that money. So in theory, they're not making more than the actors. Yeah. But I like to believe that the dinosaur got the money and, uh, <laughs> right. That dinosaur made bank that year between this and the dinosaurus film. All right. That's yeah. enough about this dinosaur. God, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Cause it was amazing. That's why. So yeah. 20 minutes of dinosaur talk here, <laughs> uh, but yeah, go on YouTube. The movie's on there. It's interesting. And it, it's, it's fun to see the dinosaur used in a different way. And there's scenes of like people riding on the back of the dinosaur and stuff. It's, it's cool. 
Yeah, I, I just um, I, I you're right. I have a, sp- a soft spot in my heart for stop motion. It's just I it, it's of its time. And yeah, and that time yeah. was the 1920s and 30s. Yeah, but this was 1961, no, know, right? Like 30 years yeah, later, and I, I buy this better than I do the effective mirror image. So I'll just say that. So, um, yeah. Anyway, dinosaur. Yeah, they could have gone the mirror image route. It just had, had the dinosaur chasing the plane. <laughs> I would like that, but it's like at the same time though. It's like like okay, here's the question to you: How would you have gotten across that they're in a time? like well past their own. Like would you have shown like caveman around the fire looking up at them or like, just could you have done this more effectively? You know, like that's, I guess that's the question. Uh, um, cavemen would be cheaper. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but obviously we're in the minority. Well, I, I love the dinosaur, so I guess I'm not in the minority, but um, this was effective. People remember it. People love it. So, I mean, I guess they did it right. They made the right call. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, so they saw a goddamn dinosaur, so they knew that they were not in uh, modern New York. So um, they uh, make the decision that th- that they should go back up and try to catch this whatever jet stream that they were in before, because otherwise, like, they're not gonna they're not gonna land in like prehistoric New York State, right? So, which, by the way, that's I also think that's a smart move. It's like, well, we don't belong here. Let's just go try again, you know. So they go back on the jet stream. They have the same experience of speed and breaking the sound barrier. And and then they get radio contact with someone in New York State, but that person isn't understanding what they're saying, what they are. And that yeah, is interesting. They, they, they get a hold of uh, LaGuardia yeah. Airport. And uh, they're saying, yeah, we're Global 33 jet aircraft. And they're like, uh, we don't know anything about a global 33 and what, what kind of plane? Like they have no idea. So they're cleared to land. And, uh, as they're lowering, they see the, uh, world's fair in New York and the, uh, the crew realizes it's only 1939 now. So they haven't quite made it back to their own time to modern time. And here's my argument is that you have, you have low fuel and your options are limited. I would think the 1939 is more, um, you know, habitable versus dinosaur time that you know, I feel like, you know, for the greater, the greater care of the, of the, um, the passengers land that that's my whole thing is like, I know it's not, it's 20 years too early, but it's not as far away as like, you know, 65 million years in the making. You know? Well, I just watched time cop and, uh, <laughs> what if, <laughs> What if they landed and made contact with their with themselves yeah. in the previous what time? What if Ron and they Silver together? was there to greet them? You know, you don't want to you don't want Ron <laughs> Silver to touch himself. You don't want yeah, that to happen. Like, yeah. So, so you can't risk that. No. What if they screw something up for yeah. the future? Like yeah. this there's it's a whole can of worms that can be open there. Yeah. I agree with the captain. You go back up into that airstream and try again. <laughs> and and that's the way the episode ends is that they're they they're running out of options, but they're going to try. And then Serling's ending narration is basically saying, if you see these guys, like you be like they could still be out there traveling the timeways in this jet stream, and we don't know what happened to the flight uh, flight thirty three. And that's the end of the episode. It's very yeah. ambiguous. Well, and we get yeah. a line from the captain saying. All we need to do is remain calm and pray. Yeah. And it's like this really somber, dark note to the episode. And I loved it. No, I, I respect <laughs> I'm it. I'm going to hold back. I love the ending of this. I love that there's real no, there's no conclusion. There's no real big twist at the end. There's no gut punch. There's no morality. There's no, uh, I mean, it's, this is what we get. Like, this is it. And I can respect that. I just feel like it took too long to get there that's that's my whole thing is like for a very short episode it felt very like just i don't know like if if the passengers don't contribute to the story don't don't go to them if the stewardess don't like contribute to the story don't go to them like it just felt yeah. very well like, I, there's but a lot like of I, said, I think they do contribute um i i think it is a misstep to spend the maybe two minutes they did with them but they do raise the stakes. So I, I feel like you got to show the passengers at least once or something or have that initial uh, conversation with the stewardess. Um, 
But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I disagree. I feel like the tension built throughout the episode and I was honestly at the edge of my seat on the edge of my seat the entire episode. Um, and the fact that he brought his brother in who was an aviation writer, which we mentioned on a previous episode, it may have been the last flight one. No, it was, I th- it was probably King nine. It's one uh, of those two. You're right. Yeah. yeah one, one of the ones about planes. He brought his brother in to uh, look over the script and everything to advise on the, uh, the teleplay. Um, he brought him his brother in. Um, I guess we can talk about like the the genesis of this episode. Yeah. Um, American Airlines uh, sent letters out to studios. They offered up any production company a they built a mock up passenger cabin for a 707 passenger plane, and they said anyone can use this. So Serling kind of he saw that and it stuck in his brain. And he's like, I got to write something. I got to write a story that's all set inside of the plane like so, i gotta come up with something so he brought it up to his brother and he's like you gotta help me write this so yeah he, so robert then ended up he got in touch with a uh american air or not american airlines a twa pilot and uh they sat down and wrote the dialogue for this episode so i feel like there is most of the dialogue in this amongst the people in the cockpit there is nothing with character building you know nothing about these people the only dialogue that comes out of anyone's mouth is technical jargon Mm -hmm. and i love it because i was lost half the time like they spend a lot of time talking about airspeed and ground speed velocity like relative velocity and stuff and you know i i have no idea you know so when when rod and i felt like that built the tension for me because i just it was intense well, it felt like I was actually there, and it was grounded in reality. But so, continue. Sorry. No, no. When Rod got the brochure, he like he got like a number of pieces of mail that day, and he was talking to Rob, and he looked at the brochure, and he told they were going to go someplace, wherever it was, and Rod told Rob, "Hey, drive." And they got in the car, and Rob was like, "I'm confused because Rod doesn't want anyone driving his cars." So he felt like it was really strange to him that like Rod would give him permission to operate his vehicle and without like a second thought. So Rod was reading this brochure and getting completely immersed in it. He looked at his brother and was like, Hey, like what if a plane got lost in time? And then, <laughs> and then Rob was like, yeah, let's, you know, that's interesting, whatever. But he knew that his brother was kind of like when he would get a, an idea, like that was it. Right. So then when Rod said, Hey, I need some dialogue, so when Rob approaches other pilot, he talks about how like they spent an evening killing a bottle of, of booze coming up with all this dialogue and basically how the, both of them felt that it was like, okay, but it would tip their hand as to what was going on. That speaks to how much they thought that they were giving away the story with the technical <laughs> jargon and no one would really know. So I appreciate that Rob was like, what we gave Rod was okay, but we both agreed that it was kind of kind of flimsy at best, and you and I would never know the difference. Oh yeah. You know? I'm sitting like, there like, wow, this is this is realistic. Yeah. This is you know, So is this Rob this is Serling really technically accurate? And another pilot you know? is getting drunk writing dialogue because they would act it out. They talked about how they acted out the different parts to make like the 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 dialogue kind of make sense. So yeah. I, I appreciate that. I really, really awesome. appreciate that. But it's just really funny how Rob's like, I guess this works. You know, I thought that was great. But yeah, I just honestly, them being so professional and so calm the whole time drove that tension for me yeah. throughout the episode. And I, I honestly was on the edge of my seat and the way it ended, um, not necessarily a twist, like I said, and there's there's no lesson to be learned from this. But it really is this like sinking feeling at the end of the episode when you're like, oh, so they just got lost in time forever. Like well, that's maybe we don't know. But yeah, the whole idea is that they're going to keep trying. Well, right. So in modern time, he says they never found the plane. They're still searching for it. Yeah. So they either crashed running out. of Maybe they made it and then ran out of gas and crashed in the ocean or they ended up crashing in some other time, you know, and they landed but right by the King nine and people's shoes were full of sand. Sh- yeah, it was just it's it's a dark, depressing ending of an episode, and I love it. I love it. The ending was great. <laughs> I just don't know if I like the episode. That's all. Like, I just yeah, feel like I, yeah. I loved it. And I, I want to talk the the music in it, although it is stock music, uh, fit very well. Yeah, it was effective. Yeah. 
So I don't know. I just feel like the first time I watched it, I was like, that's it. That's your whole thing of just like, well, I guess we done screwed up. I guess we're stuck in time. Like, yeah, that's and depressing. Since we've already yeah. seen something like The Last Flight, yeah. you know, the idea that Rob's like, what if a plane got lost in time? Is like, yeah, Matheson did that last season, Rob. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Well, it's like, and also I didn't realize this. I was reading the trivia about the episode, and I, I guess in the Langoliers, the Stephen King novella that became a miniseries, they mm-hmm. referenced this episode, and I don't recall that when I read when I read the novella. I didn't, I didn't. I, this is my first time seeing this episode, so I didn't think twice about it. Yeah, but, I was gonna say, and I think I read that a long time ago, so I, I barely remember. Yeah, the idea of a time of a, a of a plane getting displaced, like. This is probably not the first time. It's not the last time. I mean, like, clearly Langoliers, and then even, like, that uh, Chris Christopherson film Millennium. I don't know if you saw that one or not. That's a weird, no. that's a weird I mean, movie. Yeah. Even, like, Lost. Yeah, like, oh, absolutely. It, it yeah. kind of, you know. Yeah. So, it, it's not necessarily time travel, though I haven't seen the last season, so I don't know how <laughs> Lost ends. Uh, you, don't spoil it for me, because one day... <laughs> What day I'm gonna watch it, but uh, oh, it's got shades. I could ruin it's got it right now. This in it. I could ruin no. Lost for you right now. I'm not gonna do you it. You could. I don't know how I've survived this long, but now I don't remember the rest of the series. Oh no! So I don't want to just jump in on the last season. I got to restart yeah. it. Hurley's a god. That's what I'm gonna say. Hurley <laughs> is the guy behind all of it, and Sawyer is his right hand man, and Jack. Jack is just he is every man that no I don't, one cares. Yeah, I honestly don't think I can make it through that series now. Um, I, I just I spent the uh, New Year's weekend going through the uh, Mission Impossible series, mm-hmm. and I got to Ghost Protocol, and the guy that plays Jack pops up for a minute in it, and I was like, God, I don't like his face. Uh, Matthew Fox, yeah. No, no, not Matthew Fox, uh, not Jack. W- what's the uh, guy with the long blonde hair? Sawyer. That's uh, Sawyer. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. what's his name? I can't um, remember his name. Sawyer. His that actor popped up for like a minute in Ghost Protocol. I was like, I don't like his face. <laughs> how did I? How did I get through Lost with him in it? Oh, you um, need to go back and watch so, last season. Last season's interesting. So yeah, um, maybe I'll just jump in, and yeah. I'm sure I'll remember stuff as it goes. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Hur- Hurley's God. That's all you got to remember. That's all. But anyway, <laughs> the idea of like a plane like out of time, like I, that's like I appreciate that this 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 ending was like, and we don't know what happened to them. Like I really, really, really appreciate that. I just feel like half this episode was running in place when it didn't need to. Like if you're gonna show the passengers come back to them and show them freaking out about what's going on. At least give me, give me a little bit of closure about the RFK RFA guy and the other, the, the woman talking his ear off, like maybe have a reverse where she's panicking and he's just trying to calm her saying, you know, like these guys are, they're, they're professionals. We'll get through this something or something with the stewardesses as well. It was very, I, it, this felt like you're interesting. These pl- not, not plot threads, but you're bringing characters in that don't have any impact later. That's all. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's, that's definitely, if I was to give this any misstep, as far as I'm concerned, it would be spending that much time with the attendants and the passengers on the plane. Yeah. So I, I, I sort of agree with you. Yeah. So (laughs) that means that's fine. I mean, I didn't hate this episode. Like the second time I watched it, I knew I was getting into, and it was fine. It's just like, (sighs) I don't know what they could have done. I don't know what Douglas Hayes would have brought to this that would have been different. But I also feel like he would, it would have, have been darker. He would have challenged the script a little bit more. I think. Yeah, I think he. Would I have feel challenged like the it. plane would have been. There would have been more shadows inside. The, yeah, <laughs> the uh, cockpit. Yeah. I think it would have been a little bit more stylistic. But who knows? Yeah. Um, though, it, I mean, for as technical and as straightforward as this episode is with everything, uh, I don't think you necessarily need it. So I, I think uh, Justice does a fine enough job with it. So uh, just real quick, I want to mention, I don't want to get into it too much, but however, Wikipedia has a, a page that is des- dedicated to missing aircraft. I will link it later once we uh, post the show so people can dig into it. It's very long about aircraft that was just never found. Uh, Flight 33 is not among them, surprisingly, but it's interesting to kind of like look at all the different like like known flights that just never showed up. And I think that's a very creepy and unsettling notion, you know, like, like I can't, I will, I will never be bothered by going on an airplane. Some people are freaked out about it. Like, because I just know that like, there's a certain point where if something goes wrong, you can't control what's about to happen. So you got to accept it. Right. Like, like, um, yeah, at at a certain point, it's just like, uh, I mean, 
driving a car around every day, it, you're more likely to get in a car accident. Right? So I always say, you know, I, I live my life a lot on statistics and averages and stuff. And it's like odds are something's not going to happen to me doing this, you know? So like getting on a plane, it's, I know everyone always say you're more likely to die in a car crash every day or eaten by a shark and all that. So it doesn't really bother me. I haven't been on a plane in a long time and, uh, I might be going on a plane very soon. So (laughs) I'm kind of stressed about it. (laughs) So we'll we'll see how I feel at that time. But yeah, in the past has never bugged me. I've only been on a plane a handful of times. And recently it was uh, not this September, but last September when I went to, to Vegas, it was like a four hour flight. Yeah. And when you had the fever. Yeah. When I had the fever and I was just like, you know, um, what was it? Franklin. That was the name that yeah. kept yelling at me and flying out there. We hit some chop. Uh, like when you got closer to the Rocky mountains, just because that's their mountains and the, the atmosphere or whatever. And the, 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 you know, the guy got on the air. He's like, Hey, just let you guys know. The pilot was like, we're going to run into some turbulence. And as the plane like would shake violently, and you'd feel shifts of like 10, 20 feet. And it was very like, you know, unsettling. Like we we're already how many thousands of feet in the air? Like, I mean, you can't like, I don't know. It was one of those things where it's like, like my soon to be wife was more bothered by it than I was just because it's unsettling. But it's like, you kind of just like, I can't fly the plane. I don't have a parachute. Like I, it's just, you, you should of, just, you just uh, should have started screaming. That's the best way to handle it. <laughs> like wildly, it's always <laughs> like wildly yell and then just violently wet myself in the seat. Like it was like, just be <laughs> yeah. like, I can't handle this. Like, like I didn't know, you know, but I don't know. I'm never like, it, it's more, it's more the takeoff that is is more dizzying to me because you're you're on ground and within seconds you're how many feet in the air and you just see the entire ground just like shrink and that that is bothering to me but i get over it in a hurry because it's like i'm in a tube in the sky i can't control this and if i go out at least it's going to be fast because there's no way that i'm going to like if, if like there there's those off chance stories you hear about people surviving plane crashes yeah generally that's not going to be you you know, no, and, and no. it's very dark, but it's like, and like what sometimes can you do? once you get high enough, it doesn't even feel real. Yeah. Like you look out and it, there's like no concept of height once you get to a certain place. Yeah. Like once you get to a certain altitude, you're just like, well, I, I don't even know. It like, looks like Google <laughs> Earth and you're just so far removed from it. You're like, oh, well, all right. And then the same, I was also reading Stephen King at the time. So things weren't that bad. You know, that's all I got to say. So yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. Like I'm, I am not bothered by flight. And if we happen to see a dinosaur in the meantime, I consider that a net gain. That's just me, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I'll go back to 1939. <laughs> I would Again, too. Right. As long as I don't run into myself, which I wasn't born then. So I'd be <laughs> safe. So we're all good. <laughs> all right. So, um, do you have any other things you want to mention about the episode and proper? No, I, I think uh, it's very straightforward, very simple yeah. episode. Um, I think it's effective. I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, not not too much to really get into. There's really no social commentary or no. morality tale to get out of this or yeah, current events at the time. It's just, if. you know, yeah. they thought planes were cool and uh, that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just, I'm going to try. Let's just get to the twist. Just the notion that they're going to keep trying and just try to get back to their own time. I'm going to give this a three because I didn't expect the grim ending, you know, like I, you know, so I liked, I liked that. I didn't see that coming, but the whole notion of them going all over the place and whatever that didn't, didn't surprise me whatsoever. The, the fact that you gave this a three was a twist enough for me. Uh, I thought you were going to come out with a one. Um, no. I was also going to give it a three. It doesn't have that uh, gut punch of a uh, twist. I mean, there is sort of a gut punch as far as like just the fact that it's such a dark ending. Um, so just based on that, because I was expecting some sort of resolution, the fact that we don't get it, we get this open ended, uh, depressing ending. Uh, uh, you know how I feel about those. So I'm, I'm going to go three as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that caught me off guard. So I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So definitely. And it, you know, that's always something to be said because we always try and find a theme amongst, uh, Serling's episodes and like try and find something that goes through all of the episodes he's written for the show. But every once in a while, he does something that defies all of his own styles mm-hmm. and techniques. And this is one of those episodes that like we're accustomed to a certain Rod Serling script. 
And when he delivers something like this that seems so out of left field, it it's refreshing and it's it's surprising. So I I was impressed. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Like I, said. I, I I didn't enjoy it as much, but I appreciated it. So that that's where I'll end well, at there that. You go. Like, yeah, yeah, there you go. That's yeah. that's not a bad place to be. Yeah. So all right, before we uh, talk about the next episode, Kevin, how can people find us? Um, you can find us on Facebook, Strange Highways Podcast. Join the conversation on there. Um, you can find us on Instagram. We're at Strange Highways Podcast as well. Uh, email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us emails or voicemails. Talk about the show. Talk about any of your favorite episodes. Uh, correct us on anything that we may have screwed up. Uh, where, whatever you want to send us, uh, you can get a hold of us there. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Satchel Radio, uh, Podbean, anywhere you want to look for a podcast, we are there. And it would really help us out if you would rate and review us on there. Um, get us out there a little bit more. Um, I, yeah. yeah, I think that's it, right? And, and also just to mention that uh, we, we did take a week off. Uh, yes, and, and yeah, should, yeah. we didn't really us. get into the past yeah. couple of weeks at the yeah. beginning of the show, but definitely. Yeah, so we, we took a week off um, just because of the holiday, whatever. Uh, but then Ogoro of uh, the Talk Without Rhythm podcast, he, he asked us, both of us, to be on his monumental and uh, four hour long, 400th episode. And uh, to talk about uh, the year of 2017 and our favorite films and much discussion and debate about what we liked. You guys can find that at Talk Without Rhythm Podcast. Uh, it's episode 400. And we talked about our favorite films 2017. And, you know, surprisingly, there was some friction amongst our picks. So you guys should go check that out and to hear us not always agreeing on things, which is unique. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I think we all liked all of the films that were picked. We did. So yeah. there was nothing that was like, that's a terrible film. <laughs> so that's always nice. Um, just some uh, just some uh, varying opinions on certain actors in <laughs> certain films. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it was a fun time. Uh, as much as I remember coming out of a uh, terrible flu and a fever for the two days following or uh, previous to the episode. So what I remember, I had fun. <laughs> And I um, started drinking at the start, and I didn't stop till the end of the two and a half hour talk. So <laughs> hey, it was it was a yeah. celebration. Yes, so. it was. So uh, kudos to him, four hundred episodes, and that doesn't even count his uh, forays into his uh, thirty one days of Halloween. So he's probably done like close to like seven hundred episodes. I don't even know the math for that. So uh, congrats to El Goro, and may there be another one million episodes. So check us out yeah. there if you guys want to hear us talk about more current affair. Uh, yep, fair? and uh, oh, yeah. next week we might have some news to announce. Uh, yes. I'm not sure if we haven't nailed down uh, uh, if we're going to have a guest next week who may or may not be connected with the <laughs> aforementioned show. Well, it's Burgess <laughs> Meredith, and we're going to make sure it happens. So one way or yes, another, but, it's going to happen. But <clears throat> watch out on the Facebook page. We'll announce uh, if that very special guest will be on yeah. next week. <clears throat> as, I, as I get choked up talking about this. So next episode is going to be Mr. Dingle the Strong, and I will read the Sterling intro to this and there is some acting involved. So I'll let you know when the acting happens, uh, which is unique for one of these intros. Um, I've only got about 18 seconds to tell you that next week, Mr. Burgess Meredith returns to the twilight zone as Mr. Dingle, the strong. He plays the role of an incredible little man who's given the strength of about 500 men and comes out of it as a kind of a 20th century Hercules and Samson all rolled into one. It's designed to send you uh, right from your from the set into a fast bowl of spinach. And then Serling crushes a telephone that rings on the table beside him. And he says, it's catching. So he breaks a phone talking about Mr. Dingle the Strong. And I cannot tell you how awesome that sounds. So I, yeah. I'm looking forward to this episode. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fun one. Yes. Um, we we got a we got a few heavy hitters I think before the end of the season yes. so I'm I'm looking forward to it yes. we're we're gearing we're we're almost near the end of season two I can't believe it yeah we're getting there and then I got to convince Kevin to watch all of Black Mirror so we could talk about more Black Mirror after we're done with the season so yeah we definitely yeah. will yes uh, the yeah, the, the new six episodes came out and goddamn it you need to watch them but you need to watch yeah. the rest of Black Mirror first so I I heard yeah. one episode that sounded really up your alley as far as like a Star Trek. Uh, I want to talk about that one and episode, I want to talk so. about the black and white one that was all shot in black and white directed by David Slade called metalhead. I think that you would dig that one the most of all of them. So I nice. cannot. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, probably this spring we'll uh, we'll pick two episodes. Probably yes. those two. So. <laughs> Yes. Look so, forward to that. There's some so, uh, very early news, but yes. yeah, that, I think that about does it for so, us. So, uh, yeah. So until next week, and, and Mr. Dingle the Strong, um, you guys have a good week. And if you get on a get on a flight, I hope you see a dinosaur, but I hope you also get where you're going. Yeah, just pay attention to your airspeed. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> There's no way to connect this episode <laughs> to knows? any real life just, situations. If, if you have a heavy date, maybe a good one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Enjoy Valhalla. Well, how are we doing back there, Janie? Oh, your passengers are highly content. But on behalf of the stewardesses, I would like to respectfully request that we get to New York as soon as possible. One's going to the opera, two have heavy dates, and the fourth is available to any honorable and single male crew member.